This podcast contains a selection of strong swearing, including the absolute worst of all the swearing words. It gets tossed around with gay abandon. Be warned. I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. Hey, howdy. Adam Buxton here. Very nice to be with you again for podcast number 15. I'm taking an enjoyable walk in the uh, local forest area. Once again with my canine companion, Rosie. Quite a few people asking, what kind of a dog is Rosie? As if they hadn't listened to the very first podcast wherein I explain exactly what kind of a dog Rosie is. The main thing, though, is that Rosie is a nice dog. She is respectful and kind and friendly and affectionate. And I don't know if it's just a series of pre-programmed doggy responses designed to um, get food. I'm sure that's a large part of it. But she does a pretty good job of convincing you that she genuinely likes you. She's not too licky, which I find, um, that's a deal breaker for me. If you feel like a lick and and you encourage her, she'll definitely give you a lick. I'm not saying that it's off the table, but it's not instant. It's not like, I'm going to lick you, which I don't really like. I don't like it when human beings come up and instantly assume that they can lick your face either. It's not just a dog thing. Anyway, that's Rosie. Let me tell you about this week's Ramble Chat guest. And it's uh, Kathy Burke. Oh, wow. Kathy Burke, for those of you not so familiar with her, is a British actor, writer and theatre director. She grew up in the London borough of Islington, where she still resides currently. She attended the Anna Share Theatre School in North London, and she was cast in the film Scrubbers. I think it was about a girl's borstal, like a women's prison. And she got that part very young, I mean, 17, 18. And she's gone on to appear in a number of feature films. Sid and Nancy, Straight to Hell... Walker, all directed by Alex Cox between 1986 and 1987. She was in Elizabeth. This is just a selected filmography, some of the films I've particularly enjoyed that she's been in. Elizabeth, uh, about the Queen of the same name, directed by Shakar Kapoor in 1998. Kathy was also in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, directed by Thomas Alfredson in 2011. Back to her theatre work in 1986, aged just 22. She wrote a play called Mr Thomas and cast a young actor called Ray Winston as the lead. Uh, And of course, 10 years 
after that play, she starred alongside Ray Winston in Nil by Mouth. Holy Moses, she played Valerie, a woman who suffers horrible physical abuse at the hands of her husband. I mean, that was a film that everyone was talking about that year. Um, I think it was 97 that it came out, was it? Around then, anyway. And, um, boy, it was very hard to watch, but amazingly, brilliantly put together and brilliantly played, not least by Kathy, who won a, uh, an award Best Actress at Cannes that year. Throughout the 80s and 90s, Kathy became a very well-known and well-loved figure on TV in the UK, appearing on shows like French and Saunders, um, Jennifer Saunders and Dawn French, of course, and Absolutely Fabulous, Harry Enfield's television program, Harry Enfield and Chums, alongside Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse. Oh, man, those shows were so great. She's in the hit sitcom Gimme, 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 alongside James Dreyfus, And that show, I think, was written by Jonathan Harvey. Uh, it was a huge hit. But one of those shows that comedy snobs rather turned their noses up at. We talk about all that later on. I think it takes a real gift to play a kind of crazy, over-the-top character, but actually give that character some depth and... That's something Kathy's very good at. In recent years, she's concentrated on theatre projects, but she still takes on the odd acting role. We talked in her kitchen one afternoon in late February 2016. That's this year. I'm saying that for the benefit of listeners in the future. Anyway, here's me getting to know the excellent Kathy Burke. problem talking to you about anything approaching your career is that you've done so much. Oh, really? And it's so I thought it was going to be because I haven't got one. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, do you feel like you've done a huge amount? I don't. I sort of feel pretty knackered yeah, from yeah. it all, really. Yeah, because you were writing when you were very young, right? Yeah. I, I was also sort of assistant directing in theatre. I only went to the theatre for the first time when I was like 17 or something. And I really liked it. I really liked the liveness of it. Because I, I suppose because I like going to gigs. So it was like, oh, right, so this is sort of similar to going to a gig, you know. Yeah. And it was an actor called Philip Davis, Phil Davis. And he does loads of work. If you looked him up, you'd, you'd recognise him immediately. And I knew him because he was in a film back then called Quadrophenia. Oh, sure, yeah. So he was one of the guys in that. And I saw a leaflet and he'd written and directed a play. I thought, oh, this is un- oh, right, I know this guy. This guy's in Quadrophenia. So I went to see his play. It was a bit sort of over my head. It was quite a brainy little play. Yeah. <clears throat> but I had a chat with him in the bar. I went up to him in the bar afterwards and 
because this was at the old Red Lion. Yeah. And uh, I said, oh, can I, can I say hello? And he went, yes, yes, of course. And I said, oh, this is interesting, because I didn't realise that you could write and direct plays if you're an actor. And, and he just said, well, you can do whatever you want, you know. He said, you know, you really... Um, it's great. If you're, if you're interested in writing, then these are the best places to start out because they don't cost a fortune. And he was just really open with his advice. And I was only... I was a 17, 18-year-old girl, you know, and he yeah. wasn't sort of looking at me like, well, young lady, you know. Um, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to get into this process. Um, yeah. You know, he was absolutely... Do what you want. And I think he quite liked my ballsiness, you know. And yeah. um, Well, that's sort of um, at the tail end of punk, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, right. yeah, very much so. Yeah, eighty eighty one. that was, yeah. And so people have got that attitude still towards making things and yeah. just doing it for yourself. That's it. I think you're right. And also I was very lucky in that the first acting job I did, the director of that, it was a film called Scrubbers. Yeah. And the director of that was a woman called Mai Zetteling, who was an actress, Swedish actress from the 50s. And she was very much in my ear all the time, going, you must write, you must do other things. Otherwise, you'll just be stereotyped as an actor. You'll just be the funny, fat one, and that will be it. I mean, at that time, when Mai said that to me, I thought... I don't care being the funny fat one. I want to do that. Yeah. You know. But of course, by the time I was 19, I was already bored with it, you know. And it was like, oh, I've got to change this, you know. You went to Anna Share mm. Theatre School, right? And were there yeah. a lot of other people there who had a similar background to you or were they quite different people? Yeah, no, it was very mixed, Anna's. Yeah. I think a lot of people think, oh, it's the working class hooligan kids that all went to Anna Share's. But it was really mixed because it was based in Islington. Mm. And Anna would, Anna Cher herself, would encourage writing, you know, and, and not just improvising stuff. And did you, did you feel like you were quite good or were you quite a diffident person? No, I didn't know what. I mean, I liked, I remember when I was a kid, I would be the one that would get the other kids to sort of do plays, for want of a better word, you know. I was always into sort of doing stories mm. rather than just playing for the sake of it. And I remember in my last year at primary school, this regular thing started to happen in the playground that I had set up, which was called... I mean, it's quite dark when you look back on it, but it was called The Happy Family. Uh-huh. And it was basically a family just fucking hated each other. Right. And were always rowing, you see. And different people would come in as different characters, or you're... You're the mad uncle that drinks too much and you're this, you know. So I remember doing a lot of that sort of crap. But, yeah, when I started Anna's, I mean, she's very good, Anna, because, you know, you you sort of sit there for a good few weeks mm. without doing anything. And a lot of it, you know, her first rule is you've got to be a good audience. So you've got to know how to sit and watch and listen and take everything in and just suss out how it works, you know. And then finally I was asked to get up and do something. And I can remember the feeling now even. It was, I was so scared. And what what she used to do, so she'd go, so you'd all be sort of up and shouting at somebody that wasn't there. So you're sort of having this dialogue with yourself, basically. And I noticed that every kid that got up, 
it was always an attack. It was always because because the, the the line would use she'd give you an opening line, so it'll be something like you know, you've really upset me today, or why why weren't you at the bus stop at the time you said you'd be there? So of course because we're all young and we're all kids, people tended to stop. Why weren't you at the bus stop? You said you'd be there. Yeah, and then yeah. there'd be a little pause. Well, I said this and I said that. You said this and you said that. And da, 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 da. Yeah, so because was... anger is a sort of easily absolutely grabbable emotion. Exactly. So I don't. I don't think I planned it. I actually think it was more to do with nerves. And then she said, "You, you. What's your name again?" And I went, "Kathy Burke." And she went, "Okay, Kathy, stand up. First line is, why weren't you at the bus stop when 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 you said you'd be?" So I stood up and I didn't say anything. And what I did, I just listened to this imaginary person uh-huh. for a few moments. And of course, I didn't realise I had this funny face and that it was expressive. So I was just sort of looking at nobody and they all started howling. And I thought, oh, this is, oh, this is working. And then I went, but what? And so I couldn't get the line out uh-huh. because the person that wasn't there was really angry with me. And then I ended it with, but why weren't you at the bus stop where you said you'd be there? <laughs> and that was it. And I got this huge cheer and, like, feet stomping. And, I mean, it was, like, wonderful. I was on such a high. But it was a definite mistake. It was, it was nerves. But because the laughter started to happen, I just thought, I'll stick with it. All right, OK. And then did you sort of unpack what had happened in retrospect and think, why did they dig it so much? And maybe it was the surprise. Mm. Maybe it was that you, you had made a choice that they would never thought of making. Yeah. And that's why they were so delighted by it. Because I they, think so. Yeah. I think it was that, really. It wasn't that I was doing anything sort of particularly great. But it, I think it was just that I did something different. But that's the great thing, though, isn't yeah, it? In I itself. Suppose, yeah. That's what, because that's what you're looking for in most... Um, art isn't it mm. is to be surprised in some way or to see the world in a way that you would never have seen it before yeah never thought of uh, seeing it yeah yeah and it was great I remember going home and it was the first time I just I couldn't sleep with I was buzzing yeah you know I was really buzzing because apart from at school when you you'd get a laugh and a cheer at school because you'd basically been out of order yeah so you're always punished for any sort of amusement that had been caused, you know. But here I wasn't punished. It was like I was congratulated, uh-huh. you know. And it was it was lovely. And did that inform the way you did things thereafter? Yeah, I was pretty much then the clown. Oh, yeah. I was pretty much anything for a laugh. And so then you do scrubbers. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a pretty serious role. Well, it sort of was. I was. It was a serious film. It was a serious film. Yeah. But I was sort of there as a bit of light relief right, okay. as well, you know. Um, and then only a few years thereafter, you start working with Alex Cox. Yeah, that was pretty soon after then, actually. I think, because Alex had seen Scrubbers. Ah, okay. Alex had seen me in Scrubbers. And... Yeah, so the first time I worked with Alex Cox was Sid and Nancy. Did you already know Gary Oldman? I did, I did. I knew Gary already, yes. And in fact, it was Alex had said to me, because I said, who's playing Sid? 
And he said, well, it's between two actors. It's between an actor called Gary Oldman and an actor called Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, really? And I said, oh, you should get Gary Oldman. Yeah. You know? Daniel Day-Lewis is a hack. <laughs> Although I really do love Daniel Day-Lewis. Obviously, Day -Lewis. he's great. And, um, but I didn't really know Daniel Day-Lewis thing, you see. But because I knew Gary, I said, oh, you should get... You should get Gary Oldman. He's the greatest actor going, you yeah. know. I mean, you know, that's not a bad choice. No. You can't really go wrong with. Like, no, and he was brilliant. Yeah. Is Alex Cox quite a nutcase? Yeah. Well, he was back then. Yeah. He was. Yeah, he was balmy. And um, I then did another film with him. I did a film called Straight to Hell. Right. Was you even the same year, was it, that you shot that one? It was, actually. 87? Yeah, something? about a year later. Right. Um, yeah, and I didn't like it. I, you know, he sent me this script, and, and I remember reading it and thinking, God, this is rubbish. <laughs> and Alex said, did you, did you read the script? I was like, well, look, I only read... I sort of made this excuse. I said, I only read my character because I'm doing this new method thing where I just, I only want to know about my story. And it was just because I, I couldn't bear to say to him, I thought it was shit. Because I thought, well, if I tell him it's shit, he's not going to have me in the film. Yeah. And I wanted to do the film because all these really groovy people were doing it. Right, so it had people like Elvis Costello was mm. in it and various members of The Clash, Joe Strummer. Joe Strummer was in it, the Pogues were in it. Pogues, Shane McGowan and... Um, Jim Jarmusch was in it. Right. Dennis Hopper was in it. Oh. Grace Jones oh my was in God. it. I mean, it was bonkers. Let's get some more eccentric people exactly. involved. Exactly. Tim Robbins was sacked from yeah. it because he, was, he wouldn't get his hair cut. He was too normal. Absolutely. It was a crazy job. And everyone, I would imagine, <laughs> behaving oddly. Everyone was so badly behaved. I mean, it was proper rock and roll. You know, I remember um, the first time I met Shane McGowan was in the hotel bar. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning and I'd just been for a swim. And I went to the bar to get a cup of tea and Shane McGowan was stood there. And I said, hello, I'm Kathy. I'm doing the film. And he went, oh, Shane, you all right? And I said, can I get you a drink? And he went, you all right? I'll have a bottle of rosé. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ. And I remember the one person, I had no problem chatting to everybody, but the one person I was really nervous and shy of was Elvis Costello. Okay. And I remember we, we were sort of in the costume tent getting changed one morning. And I was suddenly in there with Elvis Costello. You know, and we'd, we'd said hello and everything, you know. But this morning he was there and um, and I just thought, oh, for goodness sake, just say something, you know. So I just said, have you been working on any songs while you've been here? And he just went, yes. I came up with one last night. Do you mind listening? I <laughs> mean, my insides were All like... All right. You know. And I was like, yeah, yeah, go on then. And... Um, he played, and it was that track from Blood and Chocolate, I Want You. Uh -huh. And he'd, he'd written that the night before. Wow. How cool, though. That's exciting. Really exciting. And then when, when the album was released, he sent me a copy uh -huh. of the album, which was fantastic, you know. Yeah. 
And then did uh, did Shane McGowan keep it together throughout the the filming? Because I mean, he he was... sort of did actually. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, listen, there was loads of drinking and drugs and all sorts of shenanigans going on. But I mean, everyone was there every morning to film. Mm. You know, um, in those days, it was the early version of ecstasy people were starting to take, wasn't it? And they ever everyone called it X. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. I was sort of there in the hotel one night when a few of them were quite happy and jolly and um, being very touchy-feely. Uh-huh. And I freaked out. I didn't know what was going on. I went, what's everyone on? This is, what's, what's going on? What's everyone taking? Yeah. You know? And I was sort of encouraged to do it myself and all that. But I was such a little coward. I was like, no, no, I was really frightened of chemicals. Yeah, well, rightly so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, um, you know, your sense of yourself was important to you and to what you did as an actor. Mm. And you do gamble with, uh, once you start popping pills, that, that that might disintegrate somewhat. Yeah. If you take the wrong pill. I suppose, yeah. Well, what was happening then, there was a lot more coke around then. Right. You see, everyone seemed to be on coke. And I really hated Coke. Yeah. I hated people on Coke. I just thought they were cunts, you know. Yeah. And um, who was it? Jarvis Cocker said something very good about cocaine. About you never say about someone, oh, he's really got a lot better since he started taking the Coke, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's become a much better person, yes. you know. It's like fame as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, since they got famous, they've been really nice. They used to be awful. Yeah. So um, then, despite the fact that Alex Cox is kind of frustrating and wayward from your point of view, you then worked with him a couple more times, right? Walker? Yeah, no, I did Walker. That was the last time I worked with him, actually. Okay. And that's Ed Harris in there. Ed Harris was the lead. And it was, yeah, so this was now 86, was that? 87? And... um, and I decided I was never going to work with Alex again, you see. I just thought it was all too crazy. Right. And um, anyway, Alex got in touch and he said, I'm doing this movie, I'm going to be shooting in Nicaragua, I'd love you to come out. And I said, you're having a laugh. I said, I ain't fucking going to Nicaragua with you. You know, there's a, there's a war going on. And, um, and good on him. He was like, look, look, you know, this is going to be an adventure... This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, um, and I said, but you were mad on Straight to Hell. You were mad. And he said, look, I've calmed down. This is a political film, and I'm not going to go over there and take the piss and be a madman. You know, I'm there to do a serious piece of work, and, and I'd love you to be a part of it, you know. And how was Ed Harris? He's quite a formidable presence, isn't he? Yeah, he was great, actually. He taught me how to play poker. Uh-huh. And uh, I got, took great pleasure in cleaning him and his mates out, literally every night. <laughs> and um, just beginner's luck, you know. Um, He's quite intense, I get the impression. Very intense. Yeah. And it was a very intense part he was playing. I mean, I, I, you know, it's one of those roles where he's in every scene, you know. And um, I'm playing a madman. Basically, yeah. you know. Do you ever see The Abyss? Mm-mm. No, I don't think so. It's pretty good. Yeah. I think he's in that. And there's a scene in that film where she drowns, her, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio's character drowns, and he has to revive her. Right. Um, 
And it's really amazing. Mm. For a while, it was like I, I was obsessed with the scene. He sort of brings her around and he's just shouting at her, screaming at her. Fight! 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 He's got kind of snot pouring out of his oh, nose. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's such a strange scene to see in this big mainstream kind of blockbuster. But it's this uh, moment of, of real... It feels really real and yeah. visceral and exciting. You know, it's great to have those kinds of actors who do those sorts of films. Yeah. I, mean. I don't know why I've never seen that. Well, maybe because a lot of people thought it was crap. Right. I might have avoided it. Yeah. You know? I mean, you can play a lot of very intense, very serious parts. But as a person, you're pretty easygoing, I would say. But, yeah, I but I, th- I mean, that's how it seems to me. But then you've got an actor like Ed Harris and... and uh, for him, it seems like in order to play those parts, he has to kind of live them somewhat. And yeah. he is pretty intense 24-7, you get the impression. Well, there was a lot of that going on at the time, especially in the 80s. There was a lot of sort of method acting going on. They wanted to sort of stay on location and sleep on the location and yeah. live the life, you know. Keep it real. Keep it real. It was a lot of old shit, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'd rather go home, have a nice bath... Nice bed, you know, get up the next day and still turn it on, sometimes better than them. But then, um, I mean, Gary Oldman's a good example of an actor who can do lots of different stuff and appear, and Ray Winston, Mm. appear in mainstream movies and quite goofy movies, but then also be doing these really quite intense and dark bits of work. I mean, yeah, it's easier for, for the guys, though. Yeah, you reckon? The guys get, of course, the guys get far more choice of character types, you know, which is why I wrote a play. And I didn't write the play to be in it. I I wrote and directed a play to show that my brain could understand different characters. I could empathise, not only with little fat birds that were funny, you know? (laughs) And that was uh, Ray Winston. Ray was in that, and I didn't know him terribly well then at all. I think I'd only met him once, and he'd accused me of being a lesbian because I beat him at pool. (laughs) Classic uh, lesbian move. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I just was getting together a reading of it first to then try and get some money for it to be put on. So I sort of went up to him in the pub and I said, oh, look, I've written this play, and he went, no, 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 don't do theatre, don't do theatre. There's no money in it. And I said, well, it's just, it's just a reading. It would just be a reading. And no, 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 there's no money in it. I said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you 50 quid for doing the reading if you like the play. And he went, all right, then. Only if I like it, you know. So he went off and read it. But then he rang me the very next day. And his first question was, did you write this? You know, and I, I said, yeah, yeah, I did. And he said, you write how people talk. And I went, is that a good thing? And he went, it's a great thing. And um, he was like, okay. He said, so my character's gay, yeah? And I went, yes, yes. Is that all right? Hmm. Yeah, it's all right, I suppose. Yeah, all right. And then people came to see it. I mean, it got a Time Out award. It was televised. You know, it was really cool. Um, But the best thing was, was that people started seeing me in a different way as an actor, Uh you know? Um, And one of the people was Mike Lee. And he saw the play. And he's very sort of, uh, you know, known for his honest, honest 
way, you know. And he said, oh, he said, um, I don't, uh, I've been told about you quite a lot. People have said, oh, you, you know, you'd like her. And I had met him years before. Um, and he said, but I was never that, I was never that impressed, to be honest. And he said, but then I saw your play and everything changed in my mind about you. And I said, well, that was one of the reasons why I did it, was to change people like you, change your minds, you know. Um, so it was good. It had it had good impact, you yeah. know. So Ray Winston, by then you know, you formed a relationship with him after doing your play. Yes, we were. We were yeah, we became friends. We were friends yeah. then. Yeah. And Gary Oldman, your pals with already. Mm. And so how did Nil by Mouth come around as a project? Who wrote it, first of all? Well, Gary wrote it. Yeah. Gary Oldman wrote it. Um, was it based on uh, on his background? Yeah, it was sort of a, a mish-up, a mash-up, you know, of one of his sister's lives and somebody else that he knew, you know. Um, so it was all based on truth, and he actually toned down some of the violence, you know. And I remember at the time, like, when it all came about, I just wasn't interested, because I, I wasn't sort of... I don't know. I wasn't sort of friends with Gary anymore, you know? Um, because before Gary went off to America, and he won't mind this because it's a known fact that he was drinking quite heavily, and he turned into a fucking wanker, basically. And, um, and I just didn't like him anymore. He'd gone from someone that had been a really good friend, someone that I loved, to just turned into a bit of a tit. And so I wasn't, I just wasn't interested. And I sort of stopped returning calls. Mm -hmm. Not that it had a major effect on him, you know what I mean? He then went off to America and married Uma Thurman and, you know, was having this great life. But the best thing that he did was stop drinking. And so, you know, and he went to AA and... Uh, and it completely saved him as a person, you know? Um, so anyway, so when I got wind, uh, another mate had sort of said, oh, Oldman's in town, you know, he's, he's trying to get this film together and all this business. And I was like, oh, that's nice, that's good for him, you know? And this guy said, oh, I think, I think, you know, he did, he was asking after you, like, what you're up to and all that. I said, oh, I don't, I, I'm not interested, I wouldn't want to work with him, you know? very pleased for him that it's all going well and he's not drinking anymore. Well, I don't want to be his mate and I certainly don't want to work for him, you know. So that was that and nothing sort of more was said and then a couple of months later again, um, my agent phoned and said, oh, I've got this script. Gary Oldman wants you to read this script. And I said, I don't want to read it. And my agent went, why not? And I said, oh, I don't like him. I don't want to do it. So Stephen said, well, I'm going to read it. It's my agent, Stephen Ann. He said, I'm going to read it. I said, yeah, yeah, you read it. You knock yourself out. You know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he phoned up a couple of hours later and he went, I really think you should read this script. And I was like, oh, for God's sake. And he went, no, I just, I just think you should read it, you know. And then Ray Winston phoned me. And he went, why aren't you reading this film? And I went, because I don't want to work with him. And he went, don't be silly. Read the script. So I read the script and it was like, oh, fucking hell. Because it was literally the best thing I had ever read. It was like, this was why I wanted to act. Because this reminds me of Ken Loach. It's Alan Clark. 
It's all those other things. Like, so I loved the comedy as a kid and I had those heroes, but I also loved Ken Loach and I loved Kez and I loved Kathy Come Home and all those hard-hitting um, films and play for today's. Remember, Geraldine James was in a play for today called Dummy and it was like the most extraordinary thing I'd ever seen. She was a deaf and dumb prostitute, you know. You couldn't get more hardcore, you know, and stuff like that I just thought was brilliant. And there I was reading Neil by Mouth and it absolutely reminded me of all those great things that I'd watched, you know. So I was like, yeah, all right, <laughs> you know, I'll do it, you know. And, um, and I'm really glad I did, obviously. It was so filmic, you know. It was, I, I just thought it was shot beautifully. And despite its harshness and its hardness, I also thought it was really funny. And it was a great experience. I can't imagine what it's like to, to, to play a part like that. Mm. Um, do you uh, get totally depressed while you're no. filming something like that? or No. Well, I, I wasn't drinking at the time, you see, which was interesting. I sort of didn't drink for about three, four years. And... Um, and that, and while we were making that, I wasn't drinking. And I was really glad. I mean, I used to come home at night and think there, but for the grace of God, go I. And actually, away from filming and being... In what a, way do you mean that? Well, in that <laughs> I could have got involved in someone... In, a, in an abusive relationship. In an abusive like, relationship, yeah. you know. Um, you just never know, you know. And um, you don't know who you're going to fall in love with, you know. Um, and these characters were very much in love. She was in love with um, Ray's character, you know. Um, so, no, I used to come home every night and just think, wow, look at me, look at my lovely flat, look at my lovely life. I haven't got some nasty bastard knocking seven different colours of shit out of me every night. I'm in total control of my own life. And so I just used to feel quite good about myself, you know? And I'd go into work every day, sort of looking forward to going into work. Um, because it was an exciting project to work on. I mean, the boys would give out to me, Ray and Jamie Foreman, they'd be like, you never come out and have a drink with us, why aren't you coming out with us, you know? And it was like, well, no, 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 because I need, I need to be at home, you know? And it was that, it was just... So I didn't let it get to me, so I wouldn't get depressed. And it's like, well, it's not my life. I'm acting, you know. Presumably that film must have um, made a big impression on a lot of people and a, and a lot of people who'd actually experienced things like yeah. that. Yeah. Did you come across any of those people thereafter? Oh, absolutely, yeah. amount of black cab drivers that would go, that, that was my mum. That was my mum's life. And, you know, people like that, just everyday people. And it was always either their mum or their sister... You know, um, everybody knew somebody that was getting their head kicked in by a, you know, a lost bully. Because I thought that was what was sort of clever about the film. Because he was a victim as well, you know. It wasn't just her, she wasn't just a victim of him, he was a victim of everything. Yes, you know? all this kind of rage and resentment just rolls on and on. Mm.
was that? That was... Oh, that was a lot later. A lot later, yeah. That was all later. Although that was, I think, the same year that Nil by Mouth came out, maybe. You were doing your Kevin and Perry sketches on TV. Oh, we were doing them on the telly. Um, <clears throat> but the film sort of came about... Because I got Best Actress at the Cannes Film Awards, you see. For Nil by Mouth. For Nil by Mouth. So suddenly I was sort of on a list of... Suddenly I was a film actress, right. you know? And I hadn't been seen for films before then. And so, therefore, suddenly you could get money to make films as well. And so Harry got in touch and said, look, we could now do Kevin and Perry the movie if you're up for it. And I jumped at the chance because I created Perry mm. and I loved Perry. And um, But it was so extraordinary at the time, Adam, because there was such snobbery because now I was suddenly this serious actress. People couldn't believe I was then going to do Kevin and Perry. Uh-huh. You know? I should have been then going off to America and... Work with some difficult directors. Absolutely. And I was like, but Perry's like the best part I've ever played and he's mine. He belongs to me. So I'm never going to get a greater fucking acting role than Perry, you know? I love it when... Perry gets back from Manchester. Oh, yes. And he's all mad for it. Mad for it, yeah. All right, Perry. How is Manchester? Yeah, you know, results are it's up, mad for it. <laughs> Did you go and see Oasis? I might have done who's asking. Oh, uh, me. Oh, yeah, right, so it's up, mad for it. Well, Perry. Yeah, they were great, you know, but I don't know, like, you know, because I was so out of it, you know. Hello, Perry. Did you have a nice time in Manchester? You thank you, Miss Petson. Gosh, you've drawn a little bit of a beard on. How very grown up. Thank you. Well, that came about from a true story. That was me telling Harry and Paul. Because I used to go to Manchester a lot as a little girl, you see. Manchester and Wigan. I spent a lot of time up there. And my brothers always found it hilarious that I'd come back with a northern accent, you see. And I'd just, you know, just pick it up, you know, and just be talking northern for a couple of weeks until it left me again, yeah. you know. And I remember my brother's, like, crying with laughter just here because I couldn't help it, you know. <laughs> and um, so Paul and Harry thought this was a very cute idea for Perry. You know, maybe Perry's been in Manchester and he thinks he's Liam Gallagher, yeah. you know. And people love that sketch. It's like... The favourite of all the Kevin and Perry's. It's great. Um, and Harry's, uh, um, you know, Kevin's attempts to... Kevin's attempts. ...do the accent. <laughs> and it's this kind of manglerised middle-class version of... Absolutely, yeah. ...Oasis speak. We did... Um, yeah, it was quite difficult keeping a straight face... Yeah, yeah. ...during a lot of that stuff, really. The slobs more so. They were the tricky one. To do. I mean, Harry Enfield, he is someone who's, him and Paul, have created so many characters that are, you know, that, that became, in that Ali G way, yeah. sort of huge, important um, genre or era-defining characters, yeah. you know. They were brilliant social caricatures. The slobs, even though I, you know, I didn't know anyone like the slobs no <laughs> <laughs> but they were just very funny and i am smoking a five. Oh god yeah that fucking catchphrase yeah. you know what are you doing 
I am smoking a fag. <laughs> yeah, but capstan full strength. That's because I'm smoking for two. <laughs> but did you get fed up with it after a while? Well, I remember the first series, all I did was the slobs, you know, um, and that was it. And then when they got in touch about a second series, again, it was just the slobs. And, um, and I said no, because I said I wanted to do other characters and not just Waynetta. Um, and I think Harry tried to call my bluff and said, well, I only want you to do Waynetta. So I said, I'm not doing the show. Cast somebody else as her then. And so then Paul came round to see me and he went, Harry, he's a little bit upset. You know, you're not going to do Wagnetta. I said, well, he can get someone else. I've only done one series. He went, I don't want no one else. And I said, well, I ain't doing it. He's got to give me other characters. I said, it's hard enough being a girl in this business. I want other characters. And then Paul remembered... Jonathan Ross had a show that was like a Sunday night show and Vic and Bob were involved and Paul and Charlie Higson. And it involved a weird game where we were all characters coming out of doorways, you know. It was so... I can't remember what it was called. And it was so strange and it was live telly. And I remember sat with Paul Whitehouse. I was like, oh, I want to do another character though. I can't... I don't know what to do. And Paul said to me... Have you ever thought of doing a little boy? You'd be good as doing a little boy. And I went, oh, that's a bit... I remember saying, that's a bit Jimmy Cranky. <laughs> so I'm not going to do a little boy. And I went, oh, but I could do a pubescent boy. And then I just come up with the voice breaking, you see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I literally went down to the costume department, found a bit of a school uniform, greased all my hair down. And then I thought, what can I call him? So I phoned up my friend, Perry Fennick, who plays Billy in EastEnders. And I phoned up Perry and I said, look, Perry, I'm going to do this new character tonight. Is it all right if I call him Perry? And he went, yeah, I ain't got a problem with that. Well, neither of us knew that <laughs> this would haunt him, you know, for the rest of his fucking life, eventually, you know. <laughs> and, um, and that's when I first did Perry. So anyways, so cut to a couple of years later when Paul's around my flat trying to get me to do Waynetta again. He went, I know. Because Harry had done this character, Little Brother, who was in the first series, right. who was this horrible little seven-year-old. And Paul said, we're thinking of making him grow up into a teenager. And he went, what if your Perry was his mate? And I went, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. Yeah, all right. Perfect. And that was it. And that's how Kevin and Perry were born. Yeah. So, but a lot of that, again, was down to Paul Whitehouse, okay. like, coming round, taking the time to talk to me, and then remembering this character, you know, oh, you should dig him out again. And I remember really enjoying doing him, you see. And then I just loved him. And he's still my favourite. of uh, Even all the serious work, Perry is my favourite character that I've ever done. And then, again, and apart from really doing Perry, you know, the roles were very... It was just boring what I was being sent. It was just fucking boring. And I remember getting a script once, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. I don't know, I, I think the film was made, but anyway, all I remember, the premise of this film was a boy who's 
single parent, you know, they wanted me for the mum, obviously, but he becomes friends with the angel Gabriel. So I said to my agent, I really like this script, but I want to play the angel Gabriel. Uh-huh. And what came back was the angel Gabriel was a man. And I was like, how the fuck do you know this? <laughs> I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And especially when it's a fictitious fucking part, you know. And actually, it was when that didn't work out and didn't go my way, basically. It wasn't that it didn't work out. It was just basically I was turned down. Um, I really thought, why the fuck am I doing this? Why am I an actor? And yet all I'm getting sent are lovely, warm mums. I'm not a lovely, warm mum. You know, why am, why am I meant to understand this character more than somebody that might be a bloke, you know? Mm-hmm. And especially when, you know, people were saying about Kevin and Perry the film, what people loved about me being Perry is that you forget it's a woman. Yeah. And I just got my agent, Stephen, round one day and I just said, look, all this acting work is very nice, but it's getting in the way of me directing, so... I had one more film lined up to do, and I said, I'll do that film, but I, I, I'm not interested anymore. And um, he fully expected me to say it, which was great. And I thought it would last a couple of years, and basically it's been over ten years that I've, since I've been a, a jobbing actor. Yeah. You know? So that you were saying no to TV and film. You weren't just sort of thinking, oh, I'll just carry on doing bits on TV. No, 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 I said no to everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, everything that was coming in, it was like, no. I didn't even want to look at anything. So um, what was it? Was Gimme, Gimme, Gimme one of the last long run? Yeah, films? I mean, I'd done Gimme, um, and, um, which I loved as well. And that was quite difficult, because when that was started out... Because, again, it was what people expected me to do. Right. They didn't expect me to then be in this gross, over-the-top camp show, yeah. you know? And we had... A fucking great time doing it. I mean, I think a lot of the problem was the critics absolutely hated it. Well, it was unfashionably broad, and the tone exactly. of it was. Um, I mean, now you look at it, and it, it looks totally at home next to things that Vic and Bob do, and things that Graham Linehan does. Yeah. Um, but then it was, yeah. It was too much. People were. Because it was sort of hitting at the same time as the royal family, you see. Right, and that so was that, that kind was. Of, Super realism. Absolutely. And um, the majority of people just seemed to hate it. I mean, you say that, obviously they didn't, because no. it had a huge audience. Exactly. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, my mum, she was totally well, on board. Well, it seemed to me that people that weren't in the business loved it. Right. The business hated it. But you got your comedy award, and you did your funny speech at the comedy oh, awards. Oh, yes. <laughs> Put us out of a misery. Who's won? Kathy Burke. Yes. Now, Kathy Burke got the taste for acting at the famous Anne Scher Stage School in London. Her first big film break came at the age of 17. On TV, though, she's best known for comedy in shows like Ab Fab and Harry Enfield and Chums. Tonight, she's nominated for the part of Linda LaHughes in BBC comedy Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. An overweight, loudmouth lady who believes that she is gorgeous and irresistible. Oh, this is nice. It's about fucking time, isn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? How long is it? My God. Thank you 
very much. I'm really chuffed. It, it's one well, fuck all, gimme, gimme. <laughs> Everyone hates it. Apart from the public, I had a cab driver today who said, my wife's just like that character, Pauline. I say to her, you're just like her, and he said, she takes it as a compliment. <laughs> I think we've all got to, you know, leave the grouch home and just sit at home and watch telly like normal people, and then you'll appreciate it. I just like being a cunt sometimes, you see. It wasn't cunty. It was funny. It was. What it was, was the cunty thing in your mind? Well, just, I, I like this sort of um, arrogance that right. I have, you know. Because <laughs> you got up and you said it's about time. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And it was about time. Yeah. It was my defending gimme, gimme, gimme. Right. You know, and that's what I won it for. So it was great to, you know, I did have a bit of a defiance in me. And at that time, I remember Stephen Merchant came up to me because they were just getting the office off the ground and said, oh, we're trying to get you in our comedy thing, in our new thing, the office. And I said, well, I, I'm only going to... I only want to do Gimme Gimme because I, in my head, after Gimme, that was it. I was going to stop acting. And Stephen Merchant said to me, he said, yeah, but that's shit. That's what he said to me. <laughs> I said, well, you're a charmer. <laughs> I said, well, you might think it's shit, but I know a lot of people that really love it, so I'm only going to do that. And uh, good luck with your little show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I have no regrets about that. I don't look back and think, oh, shucks, I could have been in the office, you know. Mm. Not at all. Um, because I'm a great fan of comedy. So I don't really watch things that I'm in. Yeah. So, you know... Do you still watch a lot of TV and comedy? I do. I mean, not as much. What's I mean, um, engaged you recently? The only thing that makes me laugh my fucking head off is either You've Been Framed or Big Brother. Ah. You know? Um, you've Been Framed is... You've Been Framed is great. So good. And it's one of those things that sometimes people just use as a byword for crap TV, you know? Yeah, and I just think there are times when Big Brother is absolutely hilarious. Did you watch the series when they had uh, Barrymore in there? Mm. I mean, that, I think, was, in my mind, approaching a kind of level of Shakespearean oh. drama and tragedy. Well, that was when Galloway went, oh, pour me, pour me, pour me a drink. Pour me a drink. Whoa. Oh, oh. chilling it it was chilling. It was also that series where somebody had said something that was obviously borderline racist, do you know what I mean? And it was out of order, and there was a big discussion. So they had a big group meeting about what was racist, what wasn't, and that this had got to be cut out, whatever it was, you know, had got to stop, you know. Racism was bad, racism was bad. And literally about a moment later, a minute later, Rula Lenskirt was in there and somebody said something to Rula Lenskirt about somebody else and Rula Lenskirt went, no. She went, you lying Arab. <laughs> I was like, this is fucking brilliant. And then she was, oh, God, she was horrified at herself. <laughs> I just thought, this, it couldn't be better. You couldn't script it, you know. <laughs> Just right. fucking great. And that was the same series you were Preston on there, right? Oh, that's right. And the little girl won who wasn't a yes. celebrity. What was her name again? Chantel. Chantel, yeah. You got Preston and Chantel. You got Pete Burns with his coat that turned out to have been made from some protected creature. Was it some gorilla or something? Right. It was a gorilla coat. That's from made became, out of gorilla fur. It became a legal matter. They Absolutely. were going to arrest him when yeah, they found yeah. out. Yeah, it was crazy. 
I mean, I couldn't believe it when Channel 4 got rid of it. And I was like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And for me, it's great that it's on Channel 5 because it's really based now. It's the only reality show I watch. I don't really watch... I've never seen TOWIE. I've never seen The Only Ways, Chelsea or whatever it's called. Some yeah. What's it called? Made in Chelsea. Made in Chelsea. How about I'm a Celebrity? Oh, I watched that. That's pretty enjoyable. I watched that. Because, there, again, there was another vintage year when John Lydon was in there. Yeah. And um, Jordan and Peter Andre and... But he left early, didn't he, Lydon? He did, yeah, he got fed up. It was very sad when he went. It was a bit. Have you ever come across him? No, no. I walked past him once when I was a little girl, and I remember, because he's he's about three years, four years older than me, and um, so I was a sort of plastic punk, as they used to call them, you know, I was a punk at the weekends. And uh, Part-time punk. Yeah, and um, I remember walking past the open anchor, and I thought, crumbs, Johnny Rotten, there's Johnny Rotten. Because he was sat outside on the window ledge having a pint, you know. And I walked past and I, I thought, oh, God, what do I do, what do I do? So I went past again. And this time he saw me, you know, and I had safety pins on my uniform and all that business. And so he said, hello, little girl. And I went, fuck off, Rotten. <laughs> that was, which he was like, well done, well done, like that. And that was it. I was thrilled with myself. So nowadays you are mainly doing theatre? Yeah, theatre directing, writing. Um, like I say, I, I've popped back now and again and done a couple of acting roles. Yes. I think because I like being older, you see, so you can be more character, right, yeah. you know. Yeah, I did Tinker Taylor. Yeah. Um, and I did that because of the director, Thomas Alfredson, because he'd done um, Let the Right One In. And it was the only time since I stopped acting that I phoned the agent and said, if ever this guy gets in touch, I'm interested. Not thinking it would ever happen. And then about a year later, Stephen phoned up and said, who was that guy, that Swedish director you liked? I said, Thomas Alfredson. He said, he's doing a film, he wants to meet you. And then when I realised the part he wanted me for, he wanted me for Connie, who was a great character... And that, and it was then that I found out Gary was doing Smiley. So, and I hadn't seen Gary for years, you know, since Neil by Mouth, really, was up for the awards and that. And, um, and he, you know, I said, hello, darling. He went, oh, we're together again. And I went, yeah, yeah. And he went, how long have you acted? When was the last time you acted? I went, ten years. He went, blimey. Right. <laughs> and then he went, oh, he said, I'm very nervous, darling. I'm very nervous. So I thought, oh, here we fucking go again. It's all about him, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I just had to just chill my boots and forget about any of my fears uh, and just sort of... Be supportive. Yeah, because I suppose I'm a bit like... I remind him of his family, which is why he's always liked me, you see. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's really important to have people like that in those sorts of 
environment sometimes it can really change the chemistry of the thing it's like when yeah it's like when billy preston started hanging out with the beatles yeah um, yeah and uh, when they were doing uh, let it be and they there was all acrimony between them and suddenly this guy turns up who's really easy going yeah. and fun and they all behaved themselves when he was around that's it yeah so it's nice and you and i saw each other in salford uh, doing 8 out of 10 cats. Oh my goodness, countdown. that's right. I wasn't in your episode no, though. No, yeah, they do two a night, don't that's they? That's it, yeah. but I saw yours and um, that was very funny what you did. And it was all um, the stuff online. Oh yeah, that... the YouTube comments. That's and... it. Right. That was great. Speaking of uh, life online, how do you enjoy that aspect of the modern world? You recently <coughs> joined Twitter. Yeah. And I follow you on there and I occasionally oh. see you gleefully um, telling someone that they've been cunt blocked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. You know what? I really, really like it. Um, I've avoided any... I've not been part of Facebook or anything like that. Um, anyway, a friend of mine was round. Uh, Frankie Francis Barber, who's a brilliant actress, and uh, and she'd been on Twitter for a couple of years, and you know, and she'd made friends and gone out and met people for drinks, and you know, and was having a great time on it. You know, also went through a bit of a difficult time, um, but sort of dealt with all that. You know, and um, and we were both a bit pissed. You know what I mean? And she said, come on. And I went, oh, fuck it, all right, then I'll get on Twitter. So I got on it, and uh, I think my first tweet was fuck off, which was an accident, <laughs> because I, I, I was trying to rig it up, you know, and I was, yeah, uh, you you know, and I was like, I got frustrated. Yeah. And all of a sudden it was out there, fuck off, you know. But the first couple of months I got very bored, because I didn't really know how to do it, uh-huh. you know. And I was like, oh, fuck this, I'm bored, this is shit, I'm going, you know. And the first thing I suppose that got to me was that nobody gave a fuck. <laughs> nobody, someone, one person was like, oh, that's a shame. See you soon. <laughs> I mean, nobody gave a shit, you know. And I thought, right, oh, this is all quite quick and nobody cares. So maybe it is for me. I mean, this is, I should. So I went back on it. And then I think it was the first time I sort of got trolled. And somebody sent me a photo of their shit. And I was like, you dirty bastard. Do you know what I mean? So I tweeted about this, yeah. you know. What is that? I've never heard of that. Oh, my God. It's different if you're a woman. It's really interesting really? what oh. you're sent as a woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I've had two people's shit. I've had countless photographs of cocks. Um, but I just ignore them. I just It's so easy to just ignore it, you know? You say that. Oh, I think that's upsetting. Well, I'm quite tough. Yeah. And I am 51, but I've never sort of... You can sort of grab what somebody said and hold it up and go, look at this bastard. But a lot of the time, that's what they want. They want the attention. Sure. They want, you know, to they get want, into a row. And, they, yeah, they want you to engage. Exactly. So I sort of don't do that. I've only done it... I did it a couple of weeks ago. Some Tory got on to me, you know what I mean? And um, started having a pop. So I just fucking had a pop back until they fucked off, you know. So David Cameron. No, it wasn't David Cameron. Piers Morgan's tried to start a fight. I just fucking ignored him. Um, Piers Morgan? What was he trying to fight about? What was he fighting about? Oh, because... Oh, because somebody had put up R.I.P. Tony Hart. This seems to be a running joke on there. You know, uh-huh. poor old Tony Hart died in 2009, yeah. right? 
So this was a couple of months ago. Somebody puts up, RIP Tony Hart. So Piers Morgan doesn't do his research as a journalist and does one of his... And people love being the first one to say, I'm so sorry about the death of Tony Hart. They do. So he did that. And then obviously within half an hour, he realised this was a joke. So then he puts out a tweet... Some people think it's funny to do this on the internet. It isn't. So I put, oh, yes, it is. (laughs) Because what's funny is that twats like him just tweet before fucking taking the time to find out whether this person has just died or has, in fact, been dead for the last six years. Yeah, it's just a knee-jerk. This will make me look sensitive. Absolutely. And that's what it is, and there's a lot of that stuff goes on there, you know. Mm. Um... That's the only thing that drives me mad about it, is people not getting the joke. You say that's the only thing, but that is one of the defining characteristics of Twitter, is the um, levels of misunderstanding that occur, because yeah. you've got the 140 characters, and it's very... I mean, it's much harder to be clearly understood than it is to be misunderstood. Absolutely. Well, my latest one, where I got fucking, you know, people going, how dare you... And luckily I just ignored it. I thought, I'm not going to make even more fools out of people that are already foolish, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't like bullying, so I'm not going to... And it was, you know, this thing, Making a Murderer, that's been yeah. on the big Netflix thing? And Did you do spoilers or something? No, I didn't. I just put Making a Murderer. There's ten hours I won't get back. It's a joke, you know? The yeah. guy... Stephen Avery won't get 18 years back. How dare you? I was just like, oh, you cunt. So then I tweeted, regarding my last tweet, (laughs) read it with the voice of Tim Vine in your head, you fucking cunts. You know what I mean? It's like, have I got to explain? Have I got to put joke in brackets every time I make a joke? Well, yes is the answer. Well, I refuse. (laughs) You know? It's like I'd rather just... People go, I'm following. I go, who gives a shit? You know? But then what's interesting, what I do like about it is that I... Because I am totally myself on it. Mm -hmm. And when I first started on there, people were really offended by me. And somebody tweeted, I thought you were a nice person. I went, well, you thought wrong. And that's what I like about it, is that you can... I feel I can be myself, you know. Mm. And because somebody said to me, I don't like the fact you use the C word all the time. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry... But I do. I really like the word cunt. I have never associated it with my vagina. I've mostly associated it with people that are fucking arseholes, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's the way I use it. And so my bio now says my language can be foul. Because it's like, if you don't like what I'm saying, just don't follow me, you know? Yeah. Um, And some people... Michael Crick, you know the guy that does... um, the reporting for Channel 4 News, oh, you yeah. know, running around in the glasses, always chasing MPs. He blocked me the other night, <laughs> which was sort of great, really, because he did a tweet complaining about how quick the credits were at the end of War and Peace. <laughs> you know, he was very disgusted with this with the BBC. Yeah. So I just put posh twat, poor twat, tight twat, best boy. Next thing, you are blocked by Michael Crick. I thought... Why has he blocked me? <laughs> but then that was great, because then I tweeted that I'm blocked by him, you know. But he blocked me within seconds. So I never... It takes me days to realise that somebody said something about me or sent a message or yeah. used, quoted my tweet, you know what I mean? 
I mean, it takes a lot for, for me to block someone. I'm not uh, encouraging people to challenge me. No. Um, <laughs> because I prefer, when I'm on Twitter, I just uh, I go for the quiet life. You know, I try not to say anything particularly controversial because it's too exhausting. Yeah. I, 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 because you think if people misunderstand me, I don't like being misunderstood. Mm. You know, really, it sort of upsets me. Oh, right. Um, so if, if someone gets the wrong end of the stick or I feel that they've unfairly taken something I've said and, and, and seen it the wrong way, then I'm going to spend the rest of the day trying to talk them around. Oh, see, no, I couldn't give a shit. Because the, the one thing that I've got from it is that it has made me laugh every day. Uh-huh. It has infuriated me every day, but also made me laugh every day. I've, I, I sort of feel like I've made some great pals on there. Um... You know, one of them I, I, I've I've met up with a couple of times and I'm going to get a little gang round at some point. You know, people that like each other, that are following each other. And... Um, You're going to sit there and tweet at each other. Yeah, but it'll be interesting <laughs> to see people without their phones in their hands, yeah. you know. Um, I might actually, uh, when they all arrive, I might make them put their phones in a box. Right. You know, we're not allowed our phones. In a bowl. Until, you know, in a bowl, yeah. That, oh, no, I don't want them to frighten, frighten them off. But um, <laughs> I did have a meltdown. I had one bad night, and it was the Paris attacks. Right. I had a bad night. And, and you just drank a load of wine and... I was pissed, yeah. I'm a vodka drinker. Right, OK. And, um, yeah, and I think it was a combination, being too drunk, being really upset by what was happening Mm -hmm. but hating just the sound bites I was out of order I was out of order you know and um, just telling people to fuck off and Stig Abel the editor of The Sun you know he was immediately putting stuff out this is we're at world war again I went oh fuck off you ambitious self-serving cunt I mean I was just like I mean so stupid, so stupid. But amongst it, people were tweeting me, Kathy, <laughs> Kathy, stop tweeting, Kathy. <laughs> Go to bed, Kathy. You know what I mean? I mean, mortifying, mortifying, yeah. really. And the next day, you know, when you wake up the next day and you're like, and it, it gradually comes oh, back to you. Oh, shit. Oh, dear. I haven't had a night like that since, like, I used to drink in the 80s. Do right. you know what I mean? And you've woken up and you fucked someone that you swore you would never <laughs> fuck. You know what I mean? It was like that. It was like I'd fucked all of Twitter, you know? <laughs> I'd had a big gangbang with Twitter. And I was like, oh, fuck, you know, what do I do about this? Yeah. So what could I do? I just tweeted an apology with a little red face. I love the emojis, you know. Little red face. Woo, sorry. <laughs> I think I might have offended a few people last night. For this, I apologise. But, yeah, so that was my bad, bad night. This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area and spend in your shop. 
These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code BUXTON to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace. Yes. Kathy Burke. Thank you very much indeed to her for her time and it was so nice getting to hang out with her. I really did feel quite privileged to be able to do so. And um, I do hope that our paths cross again. I hope maybe she might even come back on this podcast and, and just uh, ramble some more at some future point. Next week, my guest on the podcast will be Garth Jennings old friend and um, previous guest on the podcast. I'll be talking to him about how his first appearance impacted upon his life because, of course, he was quite candid about um, a run-in that he'd had with his father-in-law on that podcast. So I I asked him about whether there was any pushback from that. Pushback. I'm using jargon. I love to use jargon. Rosie, that you're not supposed to go in that field. That's Dangerfield. That is Rodney Dangerfield. Get out of there, Rosie. There's thuggish animals in there of all kinds and farm machinery that is not conducive to the welfare of small furry dogs. Rose, come on. Ugh. All right, I've got to go and deal with the Rosie, Rosie situation. I just nearly emasculated myself on some brambles there. It's all kicking off in the countryside. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Thanks so much to Matt Lamont for edit help this week and to Seamus Murphy Mitchell for um, general producer type support. Till next we're together. Be very careful out there. Take care. I love you. Bye! Rosie. Rosie! Come on, you Wally. Out the Rodney. No respect. <laughs>